Elementary by Michael Payne and Zell Rose Sandry, Part 1. It was a warm fall afternoon when Kellen, Elementary, arrived at the lemon farm in the company of many other lemon saplings. They were dropped off near a shed to wait. Kellen sat there for the whole night until the morning when she awoke to the sound of two men talking. So when are we going to plant these little old lemon saplings? asked a short, stubby man with a cowboy hat. I'd say we should be done by noon, answered a rather tall, lanky dude with an arrogant mustache. Before she knew it, Kellen was being carried through an orchard and out onto an open field. The next day, she was planted. Being planted is exhausting. It regularly takes up to three days before a sapling starts to feel like themselves again. While having never been planted before, Kellen had heard stories in the yard what it would be like. She decided early on, that even though there would be a lot of unknowns, she would stay positive, even excited for what lay ahead. To her surprise and relief, she felt quite lively and generally herself on the second day. The hardest part about being planted, she had heard, was you had no idea who you might end up next to in the orchard. Six feet away, on all sides, there would be another freshly planted sapling, all new to the orchard, their forever home. Maybe someone she knew, maybe not. The only thing for sure would it be be another lemon tree. Because she knew some trees may not feel quite like themselves as quickly as she did, she'd wait another day or two to introduce herself to her new neighbors. In the meantime, the sun was a welcome, winking lemon in the sky, warm on her tiny leaves. She felt comforted as the freshly turned soil pushed up at the base of her trunk. But Kellen wasn't going to have to wait long, because just then two lemon saplings that were planted right next to her exclaimed, Hi, I'm Lemon! And my name's Nade, and an even louder pitch they proclaimed, and together we're Lemonade. We were so tired of waiting for someone to talk to, so we just want to sing this song, the Lemonade twins sang. All of the other saplings around them groaned like the twins were some kind of annoyance, but Kellen thought it was quite amusing. She couldn't stop herself from giggling. Looks like there's at least one person who likes our song, the Lemonade twins, had obviously heard Kellen's giggles. Well, it turns out the Lemonade Twins only knew one song, and they sang that song all the time, all day and well into the night. And while Kellen thought it was funny at first, she was starting to find it rather strange. The next closest sapling to the twins was particularly ornery for his young age and made his dislike of the singing well known, but his protest seemed to have no effect on the twins' constant serenade. Lemon Peter was the leader of a lemon band. He rode the rails and hiked the trails all over lemon land. His song, they say, could make your day and see to smile on any face. But Lemon Peter wore no pants and a frilly collar made of lace. The twins would sing and giggle, sing and giggle. Kellen started to think something was wrong with them. But there was nothing to be done, so she focused her energy on the other things around her in the orchard. On the afternoon of the fourth day, Kellen saw something skittering about on the edge of the new orchard. Because the ground had been recently cleared for the planting, she could see quite far, even being so close to the ground. The darting thing moved fast, but erratically, like it was trying to get somewhere in a hurry, but had no idea where it was going. It also seemed to be hiding, or trying to hide, behind other saplings, which was unusual, since it was far too big for the tiny trunks to offer any cover or camouflage. Finally, after much ecstatic meandering, the furry form came to a stop in front of Kellen, it seemed like it was trying to hide behind her trunk. She thought it was fair to point out how silly this was. Excuse me, she said. 
I'm not sure who or what you're hiding from, but I can't imagine that it's working very well at all. The creature took a small hop back and looked right at Kellen. Holy cow, you might be right. I'm running around and in plain sight. What a funny bunny. Thank you, thank you for pointing this out. My name is Boojum. My mom calls me Boo Boo, and you're welcome to call me Boo. I, as you have surely figured out, am a rabbit, a jackrabbit to be precise, and I aim to be. I have 22 brothers and sisters, and my mom does not allow us in the orchard, which is where I find myself now, talking to you. My favorite color is yellow, except when it's blue, which is mostly when I'm playing near the pond with my friend Toad, whose real name is Lawrence, and less often when there are rainbows, then I can't really decide what color I like best. I can't stay long, although I'd love to talk more, but that bony fellow with the arrogant mustache, my mom calls Muck Knuckles, don't cotton the critters in the orchard, particularly the new orchard. I don't know why. He is nasty, and he smells. But I just had to see who was new to the crew, including you. Boojum said all of this in what seemed like the same breath. Kellen felt quite frazzled, and she hadn't said or done anything. And just like that, Boojum hopped and spun and was on the move once again. This orchard was turning out to be quite a lively place. But little did Kellen know that later that night, Muck Knuckles would be up to something. Shifty, that old Muck Knuckles. He was hatching a plan. The next day, Kellen woke up with a start. The Lemonade Twins were singing again. Kellen was about to blow her top. It's three o'clock in the morning. What are you doing singing? Kellen inquired, enraged. We both got woken up by this guy with an arrogant mustache, they replied with still humming their tune. Kellen wondered what Muck Knuckles was doing up at 3 a.m. And at the same time moment, Boojum jumped out from behind a basket of lemons. Hey, you there, lemon sapling. Did I tell you my favorite color is yellow, except for when it's blue? You know the butterflies just out of the forest here are really fun to chase? I caught one once. It was a beautiful yellow-blue polka dots, just like my favorite colors. I did tell you I love yellow. But then this bogus cat grabbed it out of my bunny hands, and I had to run away, because cats are really mean to bunnies sometimes. You know they can eat us. Hey, do cats ever eat lemon trees? So as I was saying, my favorite color is yellow, except for when it's blue. Oh, look, there's one. Did I tell you I caught a butterfly in the forest once? Oh, yeah, I think I did. Anyways, I should probably let you answer all my questions now. Kellen wasn't really sure where to start. Um, what was Muck Knuckles doing in the orchard at three in the morning? Does he always creep around like a creeper in the wee hours, she asked Boojum. Does he scare you? Are you worried he might catch you, she quickly followed up. Boojum's ears twitched which was really quite endearing, and he seemed to be thinking about his answer, or maybe he'd gone into some kind of trance. Whatever state he was in, it was short-lived, and he seemed ready to tail his tail or spew out some more color craziness. Either way, Kellen waited patiently. The thing about Muck Knuckles, he said at last, and maybe only I know, is that he's a sad man, but it only shows at night. He rises quite early or late if you please, and as quiet as a mouse, he sneaks to the trees. And in the cover of darkness, he cries and he sings and looks to the stars for the answers they bring. He sings of the ocean and a lady named Shay and a ship called Eureka and the cruel winds of Catter's Hay. The same song each night, a most mournful cry. If his song was a color, it'd be black like the moonless sky. Kellen then asked, did you rehearse that? Is rehearse a word for life or is it a word for death? Boojum whispered in his most melodramatic tone as he clutched his heart. Wait, what? Kellen inquired. Is life but an endless void, and rehearsal leads to it? Or does rehearsal signal the ferryman of death? Boojum was now on the ground, looking up at the sky, as if the kingdom of stars were looking upon him, and his eyes bursting with tears. Kellen screamed at Boojum, Cut! Enough with the acting! Kellen had not heard the sobs of the twins, so she was so focused on Boojum's monologue. She spoke to console them, and they calmed quickly. 
This orchard was very unusual indeed. She really didn't know what to do with all the information that had so recently come to light. In the meantime, Bujum was dusting himself off from his dramatic interlude and seemed his normal springing self. Bujum? Kellum started. That was the strangest thing I have ever heard. Never has an answer created so many more questions. I'm grateful and confused, but mostly confused, and I think I need a little time to digest all this information. A splash of sunshine, a bit of burn song, maybe that'll all clear my mind. Can you come back later and we can talk about this some more? As if he hadn't even been there and spoken the words at all, Boojum smiled and said, I'll visit with Toad and see what's afoot at the shore. It's blue as can be, the pond that is. And it's a picture of the sky and the pond and the sky and the pond and back and forth forever. I wish you could see it with me and Toad. Talk to you later. And he hopped, spun, and was off. Later that night, Muck Knuckles, as foretold by Boojum, sang a sorrowful song about the ocean and a lady named Shay, a ship called Eureka, and those winds at Hatter's Cay. Kellen was surprised to know this was true, but she couldn't help but wondering why. The truth was that Muck Knuckles used to be a grand sailor who had sailed all the seven seas. Then his ship did founder, and the only passenger aboard it sank with it, and she was a lady named Shay. Now Farmer Muck Knuckles was plotting his revenge upon the sea and all the things in it. How many lemons would it take to sour the whole sea? How sad a song to turn the tides? Well, only time will tell. Part 2 The next day, Boojum was nowhere to be seen. Kellen couldn't find him the next day, or the day after that, and she was starting to worry. What if Muck Knuckles had found Boojum? At the same time, the lemonade tins were driving her insane with their constant singing. Lemon Peter was the leader of a lemon band. He rode the rails and hiked the trails all over lemon land. His song, they say, could make your day and see the smile on any face. But Lemon Peter wore no pants and a frilly collar made of lace. Late in the day, Bubbles, the stout and oafish cowboy, was wandering through the orchard. He was talking to himself in that particular way he had, although he had rarely to speak at all. Where the heck am all them lemons gone? He kept asking himself as he scratched his dirty and crusty head. Where the heck they gone? He kicked bigger clumps of soil, sitting in the road between the freshly planted saplings, sending the clods bowling down the lane, breaking up as they went. Kellen thought this was very curious. The lemons were going missing, she thought to herself. That would likely be a big problem. She knew farms were only as good as the fruit they produced. If there were no lemons coming off the farm, that was bad news for everybody. She yelled at the Lemonade Twins, Please be quiet. I really need to think. Golly. She settled into her thoughts as Bubble continued mumbling down the lane. Later that night, when Kellen was about to go to sleep, she saw a tall silhouette slip out of the shadows and grab the basket of freshly picked lemons. And just as quickly, it disappeared back into the shadows. Aha! Now I know whoever's behind this must operate in the middle of the night. Now who would be out here at this hour? Kellen thought suspiciously. And only one person, she thought, that usually was out at midnight was Muck Knuckles. The next day, Boojum finally came to talk with Kellen. Luckily, he seemed to be his usual self again. Kellen never would have thought she'd be glad to hear him chatting away about his favorite colors, but she knew it was better than him making sorrowful poetry about random things. Kellen told Boojum about what happened the night before. I knew that old Muck Knuckles would be up to something sooner or later. I bet he's trying to sour the whole sea with those lemons, said Boojum. 
Kellen thought this a strange idea, but she knew it could be possible. Just then, Kellen heard the steady whack of the cowboy head against the leg and the ensuing puff of dust as Bubbles approached. It was widely known that trees could talk to animals, and animals to trees just as easily. And occasionally, in very rare circumstances, animals could talk to people. But trees and people were as rare as cases came, rarer than snakes with feet. In spite of this, and no one was far further than a long shot, Kellen called out to Bubbles. Excuse me, Mr. Bubbles, excuse me, over here. Bubbles didn't exactly hear Kellen, but slowed a bit, approximating a pause, as if he got a whiff of something strange or heard a bird song just out of range. Kellen was sure of what she saw, so she tried again. Mr. Bubbles, Mr. Bubbles, excuse me. Again, Bubbles' eyes shifted like he was searching for a thought that had just slipped his mind, missing his step ever so slightly as he sauntered through the freshly planted orchard. Then he regained his pace and walked past Kellen, mumbling to himself and whacking his dirty banded cowboy hat against his soiled trousers. As soon as Bubbles had passed, Kellen thought about what just had happened. While he had not heard her, not exactly, he did not hear her either. Something like the edge of a connection definitely happened. She was going to have to give this some thought, a deep knee ponder, as Brujan had once told her. At the same time, she happened to look over at the Lemonade Twins. She hadn't noticed up until that moment that they were perfectly silent and both looking at her, almost through her. You talk to him, they both said. Kinda, Kellen responded sheepishly. That is unusual, they both chimed. Please do not do that again. No good can come of it, Nate added. Kellen found Nade not speaking in unison with Lemon to be very disturbing. While, not, while now firmly rooted in place, the Lemonade twins seemed to get closer to each other, as if in an act of solidarity or an attempt to comfort one another. Kellen had to think. She fell into her thoughts just as the twins softly returned to their incessant singing. In the days to come, more and more lemons were disappearing, and Kellen knew she had to try and talk with Bubbles again but she could not find him anywhere. Maybe Kellen could stop Muck Knuckles another way. She thought for a moment, then she had an idea, but she'd need Boojum's help. The next day, when Boojum came, she told him the plan. He thought it'd be fun, plus the lemon farm would be saved. It was time to gather the materials, a piece of rope, a bucket full of water, a basket of lemons, a flashlight, and an alarm clock. First, Boojum went to the shed to grab a piece of rope, and then he went to Muckknuckle's house to grab a flashlight and an alarm clock. And it was while poking around Muckknuckle's house that Boojum saw the map, or at least what he thought was a map. He could see the orchard, the forest that created the western edge of the orchard, the twisty roads that came from the north and the east to access the orchard, and on the far side of the forest, the sea. Boojum had never seen the sea, as it was much further than he had ever explored. But he knew it was out there because his mom had told him about it, and every once in a while, when the wind was just right, there was a certain smell that came in the breeze that he understood to be the salty ocean, secret and mysterious. When the smell was in the air, Boojum found that he would get lightheaded and his imagination would run away as he tried to paint a picture of this magical and completely unknown place. He'd like to see the sea, but the big red X on the map where the forest met the ocean on Mucknuckle map made him very uneasy. Very uneasy indeed. He knew he couldn't take the map, for its absence would surely be noticed, and their plan would be ruined. So Boojum stared at the map for as long as he thought was safe to be in Muckknuckle's house, and then he made haste to the loose soil around Kellen, where he hoped he could recreate the map for her to see. He was not very good at drawing, so his trees looked like more like lines with squiggles, but that was good enough, 
Of course, some of the things were wrong. The roads that were supposed to go to the north and east instead went to the south and the west, and the ocean was far closer to the orchard than the actual map. In fact, it looked like there was only one strip of trees before reaching the ocean. Wow, I've never seen a map of the orchard, commented Kel in astonish. Yeah, what do you think the ocean looks like, asked Boojum excitedly. I bet it's a bouncy red thing, replied Kellen, equally excited. Well, on the map, the ocean looked like it was blue, answered Boojum. But do you think it's bouncy, requested Kellen. I mean, maybe. Who knows? It could be bouncy. It could be wet like rain. Or maybe it could be smooth. Or maybe it doesn't even feel like anything, pondered Boojum aloud. Little did both of them know, the ocean was bouncy and was bigger than they could ever imagine. And it was salty, not sour. Boojum showed up the next morning very excited, and Kellen had come to know that an excited Boojum was very hard to follow. She let him bounce and spout for several minutes before she really even paid any attention, because she knew it would be impossible to understand. As soon as he seemed to be simmering down, she set figuring out what he was trying to tell her. He's back! He's back! He's black! He's black! His name is Jack, and that's a fact! Boojum sang screamed as he bounded between Kellen and the twins. Boojum, Boojum, please slow down. What are you going on about? Kellen pleaded. Boojum stopped, panted a little, took a deep breath, and told Kellen, My friend Jack has been gone for months, or at least weeks, well before you and the twins arrived, or at least before, to be sure. And he is a crow, which is a blackbird, but a specific kind, and certainly not to be confused with a raven, who tend to be bullies, or overly cocky, and not generally pleasant to be around. Jack is a crow, and a crow's crow at that, and he is my friend, one of my best friends. And most importantly, if you haven't thought of it yet... Boojum stared at Kellen, twitching wildly. He can fly! He can see the sea! Kellen was astonished. And just then, a crow swooped down and landed, spewing dirt in Kellen's face. Hi, my name's Jack, the crow called. Boojum probably told you all about me by now. I just came from Canary Island, Jack began. What's an island? Kellen questioned. It's a piece of land in the middle of the ocean, Jack answered. What is the ocean like, Kellen? The lemonade twids and Boojum exclaimed all at once. It's really big. It's blue, and sometimes you can see yourself in it. Get it? No, Boojum answered, which was surprising because usually Boojum laughed at all the jokes, but he spoke for everyone there. Anyway, it's wet like rain, Jack continued. There was a general murmur as everyone sorted themselves out, and when the buzz died down, Kellen took the opportunity to say, Jack, we have a situation here. We aren't really sure how serious it is yet, but it seems quite dire. There is a man, an employee of the orchard, Muckknuckles is his name, who seems to be up to no good. No good indeed. If I might go so far to say, he seems to be working on a plan. This plan seems to be about revenge, which might be the nastiest of intentions and the likeliest to cause chaos and discord, either for us here in the orchard or the strange world outside our borders. We have found a map, or Boojum found a map. We know that the man sings a song being wronged by the sea, and the map marks a place where he is plotting his revenge. That said, Boojum is the only one who could do any investigation, and he's limited by both distance, and if I might be so frank, his ability to stay, well, in the moment. No offense, Boojum. So we're very excited to make your acquaintance, welcome you back to the orchard, and hope that you'll be open to helping us figure out this whole twisted and seemingly wicked mess, Kellen finished breathlessly. She wondered how Boojum could speak as he did, literally all the time, without becoming lightheaded or actually passing out. She herself felt like she might lose half of her leaves from her soliloquy. I would love to, said Jack simply, and he was off. That night, Boojum gathered the rest of the supplies needed for their plan. Now that they had an eye in the sky, things would be much easier. Boojum hid the supplies in their very secret supply storage compartment, the hollow of a big oak in the middle of the forest. The next day, Jack the Crow came over. 
They discussed the plan, then Jack flew over the orchard searching for muck knuckles. He spotted his target, then perched in a tree branch above him. That evening, a terrible storm rolled in. The sky became gray-green like a fuzzy rotten fruit. The sun began to set. The thunder soon boomed, and the lightning chased right behind it. The flashes lit up the sky, and all of the newly planted saplings were made stark and bony with each flash. Everything felt far more fragile than it had before. When the rain came, it was like a river from the sky. Kellen felt like her branches might break as the water poured. For at least an hour, it poured and it poured, and the river started to carve the way through the orchard. Kellen wasn't worried about herself or the twins, but a couple rows down, she could see some of the exposed roots of recently planted saplings starting to show as the runoff grabbed the soil and washed it towards the forest. The rain started to slow, even as the thunder and lightning kept their loud and shocking pace. Without the constant hammering of the rain, Kellen started to feel like she wasn't underwater. Small hints of the rest of the world around her started to filter through. At first she thought it was just the wind, but quickly she knew it was something entirely else. The horrible lament, a broken sailor's song. Lightning flashed, and there at the edge of the orchard was Muck Knuckles, screaming at the exploding sky, impervious to the downpour, a light by the electricity illuminating everything above. Kellen could hear him yelling her name. Shay, Shay! Kellen would not feel okay again until she saw the light of day. The morning came, and the orchard felt like a totally different place. There was debris everywhere, and deep cuts knifed through the orchard. Kellen could see some down-bending trees at the edge of the forest. The top of one tree leaned almost all the way forward, resting its uppermost branches and the second and third rows of the orchard. She assessed her immediate area and felt very lucky to have largely been untouched by the wreckage from the storm. Bubbles was out early, and he too was surveying the damage. Kellen could hear him mumbling and huffing as he walked through the orchard, and as was his way, whacking his soiled cowboy hat against his leg as he paced. It was the young trees where the river of rain had exposed their roots that needed the most and immediate attention. Kellen had been worried about them last night, and the situation seemed much more troubling in the morning. She hoped everyone would be all right. And for all this unintelligible gruffness, Bubbles seemed dedicated to the health of the orchard. He was already hurrying back to the rows most affected to start shoveling soil back on the tender and exposed roots. He worked quickly and efficiently, but most notably, at least to Kellen, alone. Muck Knuckles was nowhere to be seen. Later in the day, both Jack and Boojum returned to the orchard. Each seemed a bit frazzled and apologized for not coming sooner, but peppered the other with tales of the storm's damage and the destruction made all around their homes. When both seemed satisfied by the depth of detail the other had provided of the mayhem, it was Jack who turned the talk back to the subject that had been their collective focus before the storm had made a mess of the world. I followed him to the shore last night, I should not have been out, and I needed to fly low as not to get blown away to who knows where. But I heard him yelling, and when I went to look, he was setting off down the forest path towards the sea. I heard him yelling, yelling her name, Shay, Shay, over and over, Kellen responded. It sounded horrible, maybe the saddest thing I've ever heard. Boojum clearly wasn't done talking about the storm because he quickly dove back into how all of his brother and sisters had to form a bucket brigade to keep their den from flooding and the whole lot of them floating right out to the hungry sea. What did he do when he got to the shore? Kellen asked tentatively, not wanting to totally interrupt Boojum, but more wanting to keep the conversation on track. Well, I couldn't see everything, or even all that well, as the wind and the surf spray and the plants and who knows what else were all a swirl between the edge of the forest, which as far as I could safely follow, and his shack on the bluff, Jack started. 
He marched swiftly through the forest path, head down, largely ignoring the whipping branches and howling wind. When he moved past the tree line, and had only to see his audience, he began to scream her name once more. It was hard to hear because of the wind and the waves, but it sounded less sad this time, more angry, like he had his leg caught in a trap and was calling out for help, or cursing his fateful step, all the way while the trap tearing into him something terrible, a different kind of awful than the yells from the orchard. And then, just like that, he marched up to the shack, ripped open the tiny door, and slammed it behind him. I waited for a few minutes, though it felt like a lot longer, just waiting for a branch or a fish or who knows what to come flying out of nowhere and whack me off my branch. Then I turned my tail feathers and headed home as fast as my wings could take me. They discussed the matter a little more, for even though it was sunny out, they were all freezing. Once Boojum and Jack had gone, Kellen started to think. Think of what terrible things might come. Or else they'll come at all. She made up her mind that probably no good would come from Muff Knuckles moaning and sorrowful cries. But she knew she could do nothing too dangerous. Still, she wanted to figure out what exactly he was up to. She thought of the plan they had made, the plan that would get Bubbles to find out what Muff Knuckles had done and will do. They had to set it in action, and they had to do it soon. Part 3 The next morning, Kellen decided that today was the day to set their plan in motion. It was as the old saying goes, now or never. So when Boojum and Jack came to say hello that morning, she announced the same. Now or never. And they agreed. They must do it soon. They gathered the last of the materials on their list and began planning out the execution in detail. They would tie the rope between Muck Knuckles' door jams like a tripwire. Then as soon as Muck Knuckles stumbled over the concealed trap, they would sound the alarm clock and Boojum would light the flashlight. Well, how do we get Muck Knuckles to go near the tripwire? asked Jack, thinking intensely. We'll simply put a basket of fresh lemons on the other side of the wire, answered Kellen, anxious but excited. On the other side of what? inquired Boojum. On the other side of Mucknuggle's cabin, of course, exclaimed Kellen, a bit annoyed now that they were asking so many questions. Is everything clear now? Yeah, Boojum and Jack answered, rolling their eyes simultaneously. Kellen was getting a little bossy. Jack and Boojum both left the orchard a bit forlorn. It had been a very hectic fall in the storm, and both were still on edge. Kellen yelling at them didn't help. As they left, Kellen instantly regretted her behavior. She let her excitement get the better of her, and for the first time in her life, she realized that she was feeling envy. Envy that her friends got to fly and hop and explore, that they got to see the world, even if it was really only a small part of the world. And perhaps most of all, she was envious that they were the ones who were going to make the plan come to life. This was not a good feeling, and really not a feeling a healthy and happy lemon tree should have, ever. She needed to settle down get focused, and remember who she was, Kellen, the lemon tree. Jack and Boojum regrouped at the edge of the forest, just out of the sight of the orchard. Boojum spoke first. I know Kellen's excited about this plan, but there's a lot going on right now. My den is still full of puddles. Half my family is dragging around muddy ears, he said. I know, I know, half the birds in the forest are homeless right now, and there's still branches getting loose and crashing out of the tops of trees. It's hard to get a good night's sleep. Kellen can be excited, but it's not like this plan will just happen, Jack exclaimed. I don't mind telling you, Boojum. Muck Knuckles makes me nervous. Kellen didn't see him yelling at the sea. That storm was a monster, and he was louder than it was. Not to mention, we have no idea what is happening on that shed in the bluff. He's been spending more and more time there. What the heck is he doing, Jack wondered pensively. I've been thinking about that shack as well, said Boojum. Does it have any windows? 
Can you see the inside, he asked. Jack thought for a moment. I think there might be one window by the door. I think I saw a reflection of the lightning after he went in during the storm, but I can't really be sure. There's so much happening, Jack responded. I need to check in at home, but then I can do a flyby and see what I can see. If the coast is clear, I'll try and take a look. How about we meet back here this afternoon, when the sun's over there, he said as he pointed to the west and the forest and the sea beyond. Jack did as he said he would. First he flew home and checked in, made sure everything and everyone was okay, and told his mom they'd be home before dark. She was still so busy helping the neighbors that she just looked over a beat and told him to be safe and have fun. Jack decided right there that safety would be his co-pilot. None of this would probably be fun. The flight to the beach is an easy one when the wind doesn't blow sideways and the sky isn't full of debris. He swooped up to a branch right on the edge of the beach with a good line of sight of the cabin where he could decide his next move. The beach was a mess, covered in flotsam and driftwood pushed up in big piles and strewn about. Normally, Jack would have been excited to hop-walk through the mess, looking for treasures, mostly shiny things to add to his collection back at home. But this would have to wait for now, as he didn't have too long before he had to meet up with Boojum. However, the debris did give him an idea. He could pretend that he was looking through the mess as a means to approach the cabin. If Muck Knuckles was in there, or returned, he wouldn't think anything of it, and it would be more subtle than flying right up to the small window left of the door. In the back of his mind, he wished he'd made that window up, and there was nothing to see. But there it was, reflecting the sun in, its, in the dirty glass, and the more Jack looked at that window, the more the cabin seemed to be winking at him, the clouds momentarily covering the sun before it glistened once again. He was going to do this for his friends, but he sure didn't like it. Not at all. Kel, meanwhile, was humming to herself, enjoying the midday sun, when she heard the twins giggling. While not so unusual, they seemed to be giggling in her direction, almost at her. What are you two going on about, she asked, purposely not sounding too stern or bossy. You're humming Lemon Peter. That's our song, silly, the twins said in unison. And indeed, she was humming the twins' constant serenade. How long had she been doing that? Did she do that often, she wondered to herself. Then another question popped into her head, one that she was very surprised hadn't served sooner. Who is Lemon Peter? Is that a real person? Where did you two learn that song? Kellen asked the twins. Well, they said, it was the first thing we heard when we got here, not here to the orchard specifically, but back there behind the shed before they planted us. We couldn't hear who was singing it, but we thought it was a lovely tune, and as it happens, the only one we knew, and right then and there, we decided it would be our song from then on, they explained exuberantly. You have no idea who was singing it? Kellen asked. Nope. We thought there was another part, but we couldn't hear the rest. But that's okay, because the first part's the best, they concluded. How do you know the first part's the best if you didn't hear... But Kellen trailed off, knowing that the line of inquiry wasn't going to get her anywhere. Lemon Peter. What a strange character, she thought to herself. Something was itching in the back of her mind, but she could not for the life of her figure out what it was. It took Jack a little while to gather his nerve to approach the cabin. For his plan, he would fly down to the strewn detritus and poke around making his way in the direction of the Mucknuckles' house. To steal his nerves, he started further away than was probably efficient, landing atop a driftwood tangle about 30 feet from the cabin. He moved slowly but steadily. He was right in his original assessment. The beach was full of treasure, and he hoped that he'd return to poke around and find some when all of his planning and spying was over. Like all crows, Jack has excellent hearing. 
He focused all of his attention on listening for any sounds coming from inside the cabin, even closing his eyes as he pretended to be searching the beach. Having bounded about for several minutes close to the cabin, even coming around so the window was right in sight but too high to see, Jack decided it was time to take a look. So he took a deep breath, he spread his wings wide once to boost his confidence, and he hopped up onto the small sill at the bottom edge of the dusty cabin window. Looking through the window was a lot like watching his and Boudrum's pal Toad disappear into the depths of the pond. He could see pretty well, but the details, particularly in the back of the cabin, were foggy. One thing was for sure, this is where the missing lemons had gone. More than half the cabin from floor to ceiling were bushels and bags of lemons, stacked and packed into every inch of space. And it was then that he noticed the smell. Nothing quite like the smell of lemon. It was one of the reasons he loved living in the orchard. The smell was both sharp and soft, like fruit and forest. For Jack, it smelled, well, like home. At the front of the cabin, under the window, closest to Jack's viewpoint, was a cot and a table or a desk. Both were very neat. The bed was made tightly, and the objects on the table were arranged in a way that made it clear that it was intentional, if not important. This was made all more obvious by the jigsaw randomness of the pile of lemons containers that occupied the rest of the room. On the desk was a large leather-bound book, currently closed, but a ribbon marked a spot deep in its content. There was a cup with several pens and pencils, as well as one dried-up flower, the head of it looking sadly in the direction of the lemon stack. On the left-hand side of the prominently displayed was a photo. It was a picture of a man and woman. They were in warm embrace. The sun shone on their face, the ocean of beautiful blue backdrop. Jack could tell that it was a perfect day. The photograph, the combination of calmness of the sea, the huge smiles they were both wearing. The woman Jack had never seen. She was beautiful, as humans go, but Jack could feel the feathers how happy she was. Just looking at her gave him a warm feeling on the tips of his wings. The man was tall, his long legs sticking about with what Jack thought were curiously short shorts, looking strikingly similar to a heron he knew that frequents the pond. His shirt was bright white and matched his teeth that blazed behind a giant smile, only slightly obscured by a well-groomed mustache planted squarely on his upper lip. Jack squinted to take in the scene in all of its detail when he heard a loud, gruff voice calling at him. Get out of there, you buzzard, you sneaky thief! Jack was so enthralled by the scene he had not heard the man's approach. He wasted no time taking flight and was aloft and on his way as Muck Knuckles yelled several more angry threats, a bag of lemons slung over his shoulder. Jack flew back just in time to meet up with Boojum. He was still very anxious from his near run-in with Muck Knuckles and told Boojum as much. That was really close. I think we should go see Kellen so I can both tell you what I saw. It will be easier to tell this story once, and frankly, I'm still so nervous that I think I can only get it right one time he said, and gasped breathlessly. That's good. Do you think it'll change the plans any? Boojum asked. I really don't know. I'm not even sure what everything I saw means, Jack replied. And they left the forest, dodging the downed trees towards the new orchard and Kellen. Kellen was very happy to see them approach. She had been unable to fully shake this idea of envy from her head the whole day, and a proper distraction was just what she needed. Hi, hi, I'm so happy to see you both. First, I just want to apologize for speaking the way I did earlier. I'm not sure what came over me, but it wasn't right, and I'm so grateful for all the help and energy you're both lending to the situation. So thank you so much, and I'm so, so sorry. Boojum and Jack looked at each other and smiled, grateful for Kellen's words. Jack was the next to speak. Well, I have seen some things, and I'm not sure that I'll make this a short story, so I think I basically need to tell it step by step, 
Some of this will probably be boring, but I think it would be the best way for me to get all of the details straight. I know this will be hard, especially for you, Blue Jim, but if you could wait until the end to ask any questions, I would really appreciate it. And with that, Jack told every detail from his tra fake treasure hunt approaching the cabin to Mucknuckles chasing him away from the cabin window. And it was nearly dark by the time Jack finished his tale. Instead of a barrage of questions, all three were silent. Jack was exhausted from his telling, and the other two befuddled by what they had learned. After several minutes of contemplative silence, Jack spoke up. Um, I told my mom I'd be home before dark, and I think I probably should. Be home, that is, he said. Boojum said that he too was expected before dark. Both knew that Boojum was pretty liberal when it came to getting home on time, but this seemed like a good opportunity for everyone to go their own way and chew on what they had learned. Kellen asked, uh, Can we get together early tomorrow, maybe, and talk about this? In a tone quite different from this morning's. Yes, yes, and great were their grateful answers. It seemed everyone was very much in agreement that this was quite enough for one day. Muck Knuckles knew something was up. Why would a bird peer in his window and not even hear him coming? But that didn't matter much, for he was almost done with a plan of his own. It'll be a race against time. It surely will. The next day, the trio all met up. It was quite early in the morning, and all of them were exhausted, for they all stayed up late, rolling around in their beds, thinking about Jack's story. Kellen had thought more than any of them, though. She had realized what would happen if Muck Knuckles wasn't coming from his cabin when he spotted the lemon basket. She decided they would have to check to see where he was before they set up. Telling this to the others, they agreed and decided they would not change the plan much, except maybe make sure that their lemon basket was the only basket available that night. Then as Kellen told them about the Lemonade Twins found their song, their smiles faded. Then who was singing this song? asked Boojum. They didn't know, answered Kellen, suddenly worried. What if Muck Knuckles was the one singing it, shivered Jack. Well, then I guess we'll have to change our plan, said Kellen sadly. Well, then I should probably find out, shouldn't I, decided Jack. And everyone agreed. So the next day, Jack went out to fly over the orchard and find out who had sung the Lemonade Twins song. He flew over countless lemon trees, the barn, Muck Knuckles' cabin, Bubbles' house, a couple of metal things with wheels that had baskets of lemons on the backs of them. Jack read a sign that said, Northeast Oregon Lemon Orchard, but he could not hear anyone singing the song, or any song for that matter. And he was about to go back when he heard a voice. He could not quite tell who it was, for it was far away, but it sang, Lemon Peter was the leader of a lemon band. He rode the rail and hiked the trails all over Lemon Land. His song, they say, could make your day and see the smile on any face. But Lemon Peter... And the song trailed off, as if it knew Jack was trying to find out who was singing it. Jack saw a shadow dart around into the forest, and then all was silent and all was still. They decided to put the plan in motion, and resolutely deciding to do so, they realized how limited they were in almost all of their capacities. While there was no shortage of clever in their consortium, and their will was unwavering, the reality was that the three were a lemon sapling, an excited jackrabbit, and a cunning crow. Their ideas, while wonderful and well thought out, were very, very difficult to deliver upon. They knew they had to shrink the scope of the plan and try and get more for less. Kellen told, or more likely asked the group, maybe a distraction, a disruption is enough right now? Enough to slow them down? Get us more time, you think? No one was sure of anything, except they felt like they needed to do something. Jack had followed Mock Knuckles for the better part of a week, and while he was getting more erratic by the day, 
he still held to a semblance of a schedule. The group they decided they needed to act based on this schedule before even that was no longer reliable and everything was left up to chance. Wednesday would be the day. The delivery truck went out on Thursdays, so Wednesdays was the busiest day around the farm. Monk Knuckles had been mostly keeping up with his responsibilities around, and it would be their best opportunity for him to be distracted from a long day's work. Maybe, just maybe, they could catch him just tired enough that he wouldn't notice their plan. That gave him two days to get ready. Bubbles, on the other hand, was still pretty busy cleaning up after the storm. He had his regular farm responsibilities, but he also had to cut down and clean up all those fallen trees, make sure all the tree roots who had been exposed were doing okay and bouncing back. There was still debris strewn throughout the orchard that needed raking, and Jack had told the, th the trio that their roof had blown up clean off one of the packing sheds, and surely that needed fixing in short order. Kellen felt pretty confident, based on what she had seen from Bubbles, and specifically his behavior around the missing lemons, that he did not know what was going on. And distracting him, while they tried to lay their traps, seemed like a best-case scenario. Part 4 Wednesday came quickly, and while they had several planning meetings, it was obvious that they were all nervous and not really sure the scheme they had concocted was going to work. Kellen was the most nervous. Was she putting her friends in danger? Was this even something she should be involved in? How did it come to pass that she and Boojum and Jack were the ones to deal with this? So many questions, and yet she found right down to her roots that they needed to try. They needed to do something. They had a plan. They'd worked together to make it so. What else was there to do? And the plan was fairly simple. In fact, as the hour fell away on Wednesday, they realized maybe too simple. They'd prey upon Muck Knuckle's need to add to his beachside lemon stash, and the opportunity to do so would distract him from their trap. The most critical part was Muck Knuckle's going to sleep in his cabin at the orchard that night. And this was getting less and less predictable, but in keeping with Jack's report, the hard work of Wednesday for Thursday's delivery had most often found him getting his rest on the farm and not out at the beach. Jack and Boojum tied the rope across the threshold of Muckle Knuckle's shed. Then they brought a big sack just within sight of the shed, and they filled it with lemons. Given that they were a rabbit and crow, the filling of the sack took the most amount of time. But they filled it with enough lemons that they thought Muck Knuckles could not resist running off with it. When the rope was secure, as they could manage, and the sack as full as they were able, they checked in with Kellen, mostly for moral support. They set the alarm for midnight, and they hid it behind the lemon sack. Now, they just had to wait. At midnight, the two bells of the clock clinked and clanged. The sound broke the silence of the night, and even Boojum and Jack, who knew it were coming, were shook. Suddenly, there was a crashing and a commotion from inside Muck Knuckle's cabin. While both Boojum and Jack were well hidden, they both felt a pang of nervousness in the pits of their bellies. Muck Knuckles came barreling out of his cabin, wild-eyed his long legs stork-white in the moonlight. His feet caught momentarily on the snare in the doorway, but he quickly righted himself as he lumbered towards the lemon sack and the blaring alarm clock. He approached the sack with those same wild and willful eyes. Jack and Boojum both shrunk in their hiding places, knowing that the rope had failed to trap their intended captive, or even really slow him down. Muck Knuckles made his way to the sack and reached behind it to the alarm clock. 
He held it in his hands, up into the moonlight, studying it like a miracle or something magic. He didn't even stop the ringing of the bells for several seconds, while he looked upon it seemingly somewhere between confounded and mesmerized. After several moments, he silenced the clock and smiled a smile that seemed to take up his whole face, his mustache matching his mouth in a giant canoe of glee that stretched from ear to ear. It's time, he yelled, it's time. Screeching and hooting and jumping from foot to foot, he grabbed the bulky bag of lemons, barely able to sling it over his shoulder. It had taken a long time, but Boojum and Jack had filled that sack to the point where it was nearly unmanageable. If it wasn't for his manic excitement and uncaged glee, Mucknuckles may not even be able to pick it up, let alone set off on a jog across the orchard in the direction of the sea. Of course, Kellen had seen nothing of the plan unfolding, and definitely did not know it was not going as they had foreseen. She had heard the alarm clock and hoped it would result in Mucknuckles ensnared in his doorway, but she had no idea what was actually afoot. That is, until she heard his laughter and hooting and soon after saw him approach. He was trudging through the orchard, leaning far forward under the burden of the overstuffed lemon sack. And for the briefest of moments, Kellen was crushed that their plan had failed. She hoped Boojum and Jack were safe and cursed herself for sending them into danger. Mucknuckle's approach was clumsy but steady. He had stopped his hooting and was now saying something that she could not make out either because she was too nervous or he was making no sense. And then in an instant, everything was quiet, everything calm, at least in Kellen's mind. Something that had been itching in the back of her mind wiggled its way free and supplanted itself in the space between her and the approaching madman. She waited until he was just a few, few feet from her, basically separating her from the twins, when she yelled with all her might, Peter! Lemon Peter! Mucknuckles stutter-stepped twice before the confusion and the weight of the lemon sack brought him crashing to the ground in a dusty lemon-strewn pile right in front of Kellen. The maniacal shine in his eyes gone, the hooter replaced by a heavy, nervous breathing, Mucknuckles looked around the orchard in a head-twisting frenzy. Kellen spoke again. Peter! Lemon Peter! I know that it's you! Slowly, between fear and confusion, Mucknuckles looked upon the lemon sapling that was somehow speaking to him. How, how do you know my name? He stuttered in Kellen's direction. There was silence as Kellen decided what she should say next. The idea, or the possibility of it, had come to her over the last several days. That itch that had started from her conversation about the song with the twins had sent Kellen down a winding memory lane of all the times since she had arrived at the orchard, now many months before. She remembered hearing bubbles several weeks before, before the storm, during one of his rambling mumbles as he walked around the orchard. Where is that darn fella? Why can't he be like he used to be? Like he was with Shay? Oh, why can't he be? That darn sea? Kellen had heard the words, but not really connecting what they might mean. And then there was Boojum and Jack arguing over the twin song. Jack was sure that those were not the words he had heard when he was flying above the orchard, but he couldn't remember what else they could be. And Boojum, having the twin song so stuck in his head, he simply couldn't imagine it could be anything else, which in Kellen's mind was as absurd as the twins thinking their version is the best and only version, well, just because. And finally, the thing that gave her the confidence to try and call out, well, she was out of ideas. The plan, which everyone knew was really not a very good plan, had failed. And whatever plan Mucknuckles was mapping out was in play, and this would be her only chance to stop it. And if she couldn't stop it, at least maybe she could understand what it was all about. 
She spoke to him again, as only a tree can speak to a man. Peter, please don't do whatever you're about to do. We need you. Everyone here in the orchard needs you. He just sat there in the dirt, looking at Kellen in disbelief and expectation. He muttered again, How, how are you speaking to me? Have I broke my mind? Is everything finally lost? He asked Kellen, but as maybe as much himself. No, Peter, please. You are not losing your mind. I am only able to speak to you, and you are only able to hear me, because we are connected. You to me, me to you, we to this place, this orchard, she uttered. We know about Shay. We know your sadness. We know that the shack by the sea is full of the missing lemons, and we know you want revenge, Kellen said. I know your song, but some of the words are wrong, and there's more to it. You were once the lemon farmer in this song. I know that you were once happy. I'm so sorry, Peter. Please help me to understand. Kellen spoke with her most sincere and caring voice. Mucknagle's thought of the lemons in the shack, his plan so close to fruition, but he couldn't move a muscle. In fact, he was shaking, quivering before this lemon sapling who was speaking to him, speaking to him, speaking and knowing who he was, knowing who he had been. For all his years, he had never known such a thing possible. He had never once considered such a thing. Of course, he had spent hours hours that added up to years speaking to his lemon trees, encouraging them as saplings, cheering them on as they grew, complimenting them on a glorious harvest or a particularly lovely fruit. He had spoken to the trees probably more than he had spoken to anyone in his life, maybe even more than Shay. And with that realization, he broke down and began to sob. Surrounded by the lemons from the sack that was the trap strewn around him and this talking sapling, the lemons that had been his life's work stolen away for his terrible plan. And when the sobbing started to subside, Mucknackle spoke. You know my name. What is yours, he asked. My name's Kellen. Behind you are my friends, Boojum and Jack, she said, as the two stepped out of the shadows to show themselves. Mucknackles looked upon the rabbit and the crow with increased disbelief, again obviously questioning to himself whether or not he had finally lost his mind. Kellen gestured towards the twins. This is Lemon and Nade. They heard you singing the song when they first got here, and to be honest, have not stopped singing it since. And with that, Kellen took a deep breath and began to sing. Lemon Peter was the leader of a lemon band. He rode the rails and hiked the trails all over lemon land. His song, they say, could make your day and see the smile on any face. But Lemon Peter wore no pants and a frilly collar made of lace. And just like that, Lemon Peter went from his final soft sobs into explosive rumbles of laughter. A laughter that comes from deep inside the belly. A laughter that takes a long time to get into the air and rolls like thunder when it gets there. A continued convulsion that can be only delivered through a giant smile, once again transforming his mustache from resemble a bobbing craft upon the sea of laughter that was his face. Wore no pants and a frilly collar made of lace, he repeated several times, although he could barely speak through the laughter before erupting once more into a deep and uncontrollable howling. That is amazing, he coughed, and most definitely, most definitely not the words to my song. Oh, my. Kellen felt a bit embarrassed, but only a little, because deep down she knew the twins had got it wrong. What are the words? She asked a bit self-consciously, but with an honesty that clearly made it to Mucknuckle's ear. He slowly gained his composure and began became serious. He looked at Kellen as deeply as his laughter had been only a few moments ago. He, like Kellen, took a deep breath, looked up into the sky, then he returned his gaze to the lemon sapling before he hit, and he began to sing. 
Lemon Peter was the leader of a lemon band, and he rode the rail and hiked the trails all over Lemon Land. His song, they say, could make your day and see a smile on any face, but Lemon Peter was nary alone within this fantastic place. At his side and ever near, Lemon Shay could be found, tending to the trees she loved, the queen of orchard ground. They too, they say, would work and play from morning till the night, and never was a better lemon grown than those grown within their sight. There was a pause. She wrote that song. Shay did. She would sing it to tease me as we worked, humming it throughout the day and breaking into the song at the top of her lungs at any hour, Mucknuckles said with a much sadder smile. Oh, how she loved this place. Oh, how I loved her and this place with her. And with that, Mucknuckles put his head to the ground and was silent once again. Kellen waited quietly, and slowly and steadily, Mucknuckles straightened him, himself up to a seated position and began to speak. He told Kellen everything. In short order, both Jack and Boojum slid into the circle and listened intently. Only Mucknuckles spoke and if the other three had had any questions, they need not ask, because all was to be revealed. He spoke of his life with Shay on the farm, the years they spent starting the orchard from a rough piece of ground on the edge of the forest, their simple beginnings, the first trees they had planted. How she had loved him to give him the name Mucknuckles, because he'd waste no movements in tending to his trees, particularly the saplings, moving from one to the next like a long-legged ape, his fist balls propelling him from one sapling to the next, he smiled wide, eyes closed tightly, clearly remembering Shay teasingly calling him about his nickname. And all this time, Kellen, Boojum, and Jack had thought the name must be some kind of insult or slight or a reference to his ornery demeanor. But no, not at all. Shay had given him that name out of love, and because of his love for the trees, he was so different than they had assumed. The hardest part of the night was his telling the tale of Shay's death. He had to stop often to compose himself again squishing up his face in the pain of the memory. She had taken their dinghy, the Eureka, out for an afternoon row, as she was prone to do. She would slip past the breakers and bob out at sea, enjoying the steady, quiet rock of the ocean. She would often fall into something like a dream, floating for hours before effortlessly rowing back to the beach. The fateful day had begun beautiful and warm. Peter had not even noticed the approaching storm until it was right on top of him. And if it was on top of him in the orchard, it was in full effect out at the beach. He set out sprinting through the forest, branches ripping at his arms and his face as he raced towards the sea as fast as his legs would carry him. And when he got to the bluff, the ocean was a churning swirl of froth and blackness. What would have been the soft waves that Shay had negotiated on our way out were mountains of crashing mayhem. He screamed at the top of his lungs until he could make no more sounds and stayed planted upon the bluff until the storm made its way and the sea was calm once more. The Eureka washed up, empty and oarless, on the beach two days later. He told them that he could find no home for his sadness, no port for his rage. How can he hate a storm, he asked aloud. It was already gone, never to return. How could he hate their boat, the Eureka? It made it back to the shore, after all, just without his beloved Shay. And of course, he could only mourn the loss of his love, so it would be the sea he would hate every drip-drop of the cursed sea, as far as he could see and as deep it was it would go. And this made for quite a lot of hate. And like too much of anything, it blinded him. It poisoned his mind, pushed him to his vengeful plan. He had almost lost everything pursuing it, all of his hard work, all that he and Shay had built together.
When Peter was done with his tale, it was nearly dawn, and all four of them sat in silence, taking in what had been said and shared between them. As the lemon-yellow sun poked out above the trees, Peter stood, stretching his long legs from so much time sitting. He began collecting the lemons that had spilled from the trap sack the night before, and Boojum and Jack helped him, although not very much. When the sack was full, he slung it over his shoulder. I have a lot of work to do. Those lemons in the shack at the sea need to be moved immediately. Maybe Bubbles will help me. Oh, Bubbles, I owe him so many thanks and more apologies. There might not even be an orchard right now if it weren't for him. He looked around the orchard, first wistful, then more determined. Thank you, Kellen. And you too, Jack and Boojum. He looked at each of the three, starting and ending with Kellen. It's good to be back. Very good indeed. I am forever grateful. And with that, he and his heavy sack spun and marched off towards the packing shed and the work ahead. All three could hear the song he was humming as he went. Kellen was exhausted, but as she watched Lemon Peter walk out of the orchard, soft morning light upon her leaves, she knew that a third verse had just been written, and she felt very lucky to be a part of this song. Very lucky indeed. <laughs>